this series will be, um, this has potential to be transformative, meaning has the, the ability to help you grow, to speed up growth in Christ. But it will also be challenging for some of us. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Actually, no, we need to pray before we do this. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and uh, to be conformed into the image of Christ is always stretching. It's always difficult. We are being called and brought higher. And uh, we ask and we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God and to the Word of God. Uh, Again, just we ask that we would go into it with open minds and open hearts, that we would uh, be willing to let you out of the boxes that we put you in. So we declare that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's have fun with this this morning. Who's been to the ocean before? Okay. So can you remember the first time that you saw the ocean? Can you remember that? When you see it, and then all of a sudden, and of course the ocean, you, you smell it first, right? You're driving the windows down, you go, what in the world is that? And you hear it. You hear the waves crashing, and then you walk over the dune or whatever, and then you see it for the first time, and you go, what in the world have I been missing? Why do I live in Arkansas? No, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is home. I love Arkansas. This is a joke. You know, but you just go, this is unlike anything I've ever seen before. Now, before your first experience with the ocean, how did you know what the ocean was? Through images, right? Which would come from your what? Your imagination. Now, there are people in this room who have not seen the ocean yet. But if I were to walk up and say, hey, so tell me about the ocean. They could tell me about the smell. Well, you know what? It smells like salt. And it sounds like a seashell. You ever held a seashell to your ear? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm not crazy. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like that. And so do you have a bathtub at home? (laughs) It's kind of like a bathtub. So it's like a bathtub with water in it, and it smells like salt, and it sounds like a seashell. Now, they're not wrong, right? But are they right? (laughs) It's like, no, you're not wrong. Yes, some of those things are character. Yes, it is like this and it's like, okay, the ocean is like your bathtub, but the ocean is not your bathtub. Make sense? God is like what you think he is, but he is not what you think he is. How about that? You have an image in your mind of who God is. And that image comes from experiences. It comes from sermons. It comes from, um, you know, some personal experiences which you've had, which you felt like were God. It comes from scriptures. It comes from thinking and ideas and symbols. You have, you have pieced together an image of what God is. Um, who was in kindergarten and had to do how do you even explain this? It's like a collage, or like you get the magazines, like you clip out pictures from the magazine, and you know, and and so like you find a way to glue them together to make a new image. Does that make sense, anybody? 
I tell who's visual in the room. They're like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. That is the closest thing to what we know of who God is. We have all these things that we've clipped out of ideas, out of scriptures, out of experiences, out of stories people have told us. We have all these little things, and we put together, and we say, okay, God is like this. Now, that is a very good, helpful thing for us to have, but we cannot confuse something, right? God is like the image we have of him, but what? God is not the image we have of him. Let me challenge you even more. God is like what you learn from the Bible, but the Bible does not contain all of who God is. How about that? You could be the best scholar in the world and gain all the knowledge that you ever could from the Bible, and even that does not contain, it doesn't restrain who God is. He is even more than that. How about this? We'll talk relationships. So, who here thought that they knew what marriage was going to be like before they got married? Who's honest? Boy, I had this awesome picture of marriage. Nisa was cooking in the kitchen. (laughs) That was gone the first day. (laughs) She does cook now. It it just took eight years. It's okay. (laughs) You wait. Yeah. If you want to get me back, you have to start preaching. So... That's the deal. That's the deal. Okay. So before marriage, you had an idea. Someone's like, well, marriage is like friendship. Right? <laughs> Come on. Okay, yeah, we can, we can tell who's really married. Okay. It's like partnership. Right? What they should say is, it's like a cage match. Right? Like, it's like MMA <laughs> with your best friend. Okay. Yes, marriage is like friendship in ways, right? It is like partnership in ways. But marriage is not only that, correct? And so, and so not just in, in our ability to understand things or people, but also when it comes to the ability for us to relate, to know how to have relationship with people, even that we don't fully comprehend until we're in it. And in it for what? A long time. What's funny is that when you talk to people who've been married for five years, they say certain things about marriage. Ten years, twenty years. When you talk to people who've been married for 50 years, they have an entirely different definition of what marriage is, right? Because the longer they're in it, the more that they know it. And you can only know it until you what? Know it. Right? Now... Shifting this back to God, this is exactly what it's like with us. When we try to, to know God, we, it's, it's almost an impossible task right now. Because how do you say that God is like everything and he's like nothing? He's like something you've never experienced because, by the way, he is the most unique thing, being, person, Period. But he's also like all these other things. So so God is like, and he's like, and he's like. And even then, we always have to remember that he is like those things, but he is more than those things. 
And then when it comes down to relating to God, we say, you know what? To relate to God, it's like friendship, right? Does the Bible say that? It's like a friend. It's like having this advocate, right? It's like marriage. Okay. And it goes on and on and on. It's like having a father. It's like having a brother. It's like having a mother. Oh, that's controversial. Whoa, back up. Sorry. Do you see how you react when someone says God is more than your image of him? Right? Come on, be honest. Ooh, no, 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 no. He's not like having a mom. Nope. I used to hate when people would say, I'm a friend of God. There's a stupid song. It's not stupid. (laughs) Where everyone would sing, I'm a friend of God. Right? Have you heard that song? I used to hate that song. What are you talking about? You ain't God's friend. Ain't hanging out with you on the weekends. Golly, what are you talking about? You know, Abraham's a friend of God. He is a friend of God because he's faithful. Are you faithful? You know, that's my whole thing. I was not willing to even let that idea of God creep, creep in because at that point, he was this for me. He was like a father. He was like an advocate, whatever. You know, he's like the creator. But I wasn't yet willing to expand my box and see God as a friend. And so the moment that that idea challenged the image I had, I had to attack that idea. Does that make sense? In marriage, the first year of marriage is often the most difficult. And it is that because the hardest thing about the first year is, are you going to let go of what you thought your marriage was going to be like to embrace what your marriage is? Are you going to let go of the image of who you thought this person was? Come on. I thought this was a perfect, perfect person, and we're just made for each other, and everything's great. Right? Are you going to let go of that to be like, I want to punch her in the face? (laughs) Right? I mean, come on. And so the first year is so hard, and of course, that year never stops. That is what marriage is. Forever. Okay. I didn't mean the punching, okay. Are you willing to let go of your ideal, comfortable image of what you expected to embrace what really is? And the people in this room with the best marriages are the ones who are learning to embrace their marriage and their spouse for who and what it really is. Right? The marriages in this room that are having trouble are the ones who are having expectations for their spouse that their spouse cannot meet. And you're not willing to let go of that. The marriages that are struggling in this room are the ones who have an image of what marriage is supposed to be, but you will not let go of that in order to work and focus on being in the marriage that you have. So what do most people do? I'm going to go find a marriage that does look like this. I'm going to go find a person who does look like this. And you say, well, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Do you know how many people walk into this church every year? A lot. Do you know how many people are still sitting in chairs today? Not many. Because we walk in and we say, oh, that's not the God that I want. I'm good. 
Let me go see if this church sees God the way that I do. I'll say this way. Let me go see if this, God, if this church knows God the right way. How about that? How's that feel? Say, we're going church shopping tomorrow. Okay. I got it. One of the hardest things about following Christ and about growing with God is this. We are constantly having to let go of who we want God to be in order to be with who God is. And this is uncomfortable. Now, Pastor Zach started in Genesis last week, and he, he, he walked us through the entire story. But the way that story starts is crucial. We have not changed very much. We are still determined that we set terms with God. Here is who you are, and here's the line in the sand. And if you move past that, I'm walking out. And this is the way most of us are with God. And you say, well, I'm not. Here's your test. If God is not disrupting your life, meaning if the idea of making Jesus your Lord does not make your life absolutely uncomfortable and stretching and difficult, you have caged God. Man, I didn't hear any amens. Man, I was really expecting some. If you are not in this moment, in this place, where God is stretching you beyond yourself, and you say, I don't want to give you this. I don't want to give you that. I don't want you to have control over my spare time. I don't want you to have control over my money. I don't want you to have control over my job. I don't want you to have control over how I treat my wife and expectations of my wife. I don't want you to have control over holding offense over someone who did me wrong. You have already told God, I would rather have my image of you than you. The foundational truth of being a Christian is this. Jesus is Lord. And if that phrase is something easy for you to say, you'd have no clue what it means. Jesus is Lord over my one to two Sundays um, each month, but not in the summer because we have to go to the lake more often. Come on now. He used to be Lord over Wednesdays, but now I've learned that we can have family time on Wednesdays. He's Lord over our money whenever we have extra money. He's Lord over my time whenever the, the job and business doesn't need more of my time. He's Lord over my hobbies whenever he doesn't tell me to let it go. He's Lord over my relationships until I decide that I don't want this person in my life anymore. He's Lord over where I go to church until I decide that, that church is uncomfortable. I don't want to go to that church anymore. Trust me, I hear that every week. And so in this process, we have to understand this. You worship the God that you imagine. We all do. Now, that is not me saying something bad. I'm not saying you are a terrible Christian because I'm not saying that. I'm saying this is the only ability we have. For example, I love my wife 
as I know her. But next year I will know her even more, and I will love her even more for who she is. Does that make sense? It's not that she's not that person yet. It's I'm still learning who she is, and as I learn who she is, I have to choose to embrace it or to reject it. Does that make sense? As my kids grow up, I love them deeply right now, but every single day that they grow and they evolve and they change and I learn freshly who they are, I have to again choose again to love them. It's easy to love Rachel. She's one-year-old. Everything's cute. One-year-old Rachel and 16-year-old Rachel are two different things. Agreed? And when she is 16, I have to be able to love everything that I learn that she is. When you first come to the faith as a, basic, as a baby Christian, you say, I love the God who saves me. I love the God who loves me. <sighs> and from this moment on, it is learning to love the God who is your Lord. And most of us have never even moved beyond this. The fact that you don't even feel the friction yet says that we have not moved beyond the basics. The same prayer that we all prayed. Anyone who would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in the heart that He was raised from the dead will be saved. We say that at the beginning. We learn what that means as we grow. You say... I will love you and cherish you. I'll be there in sickness and in death, richer for poorer. But you don't even know what that means until you're poor with your wife. How about that? And then you realize the vow that you made. You grow into your knowledge of what it means to know someone and to relate to them. And this is the basis of how we know God. Your image of who God is must continue to expand. But that is never an easy or a fun thing for us to do. Now, if you guys have your Bibles, let's go to the text that we read this morning, the, the passage, Ephesians 3.14. Ephesians 3.14 through verse 21. Here's what it says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom... Every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your, in your inner being. If you would, he's saying that, you, that the spirit of God would enrich your spirit. And then he goes on and says, so that the Christ might dwell in your hearts. When you see hearts in the Bible, people, specifically New Testament, it's not talking about your organ. Agreed. How about that? Is Jesus living in your heart right now? Who wants to say the answer? No. Why? Where is Jesus? We talked about this last series. At the right hand of the Father, which he's not, he's not actually seeing the right hand of the Father. Meaning he's with the Father. It, he has authority and power. Meaning he's there, he's not here. Agreed? What does come into you? The Spirit that is, that is analogous, meaning is like Christ. The Spirit of God comes into you, and that Spirit doesn't even sit in your heart. When it says heart, it means basically soul, meaning the deepest part of who you really are. Meaning the Spirit of God, when you receive Him, comes into who you are and starts messing with things. Does that make more sense? So again, when you see heart, 
Think the deepest part of who I am. Emotions, my mind. He's going on, he's going on in, in this deep part of my consciousness. And all this is happening, and it says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, again, that's up here, to grasp how wide and long, high and deep. I love how this plays into our image. Just imagine. The image, the picture, okay? How do you, uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's, how about this? <laughs> the image that you have of God, okay? When the Spirit begins to work in us, He begins to work in our ability to grasp, to comprehend, to imagine that He begins to expand how wide and long, deep and high. Dimensions. It grows like this, and guess what else it does? It grows like this. 4D. It's a 4D movie. How about that? Paul's talking about dimensions here. It's phenomenal. And so this image, is, it, it stops being this, this, if you would, picture on your wall, and it adds depth to it. And then all of a sudden, when depth comes, all of a sudden, this experiential, if you would say, smell, right? There's a difference between a picture of the ocean and standing in the waves in the ocean. Agreed? The Spirit of God moves in you to begin to take you from this picture, a postcard of the ocean, postcard of God, and it begins to engulf you in God, standing in the waves, smelling it, feeling it, seeing it, experiencing who God really is. How wide and long, high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know, again, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, meaning it's not just information. He's not saying this isn't happening with your mind. He's saying it's beyond facts. To know the ocean is beyond knowing it's like a bathtub, knowing it smells like the salt, knowing that it sounds like a seashell. It's experiential knowing that takes this and takes this and takes the Spirit and immerses you. You know because you know. You know marriage because now you are being thrown into marriage. Oh, that's fun. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you even get what's being said there? That you would be filled with the fullness of all that God is. I wish that I had, like, you guys have seen the whole thing with like, the cup and the water. Like, that wouldn't even work here. The idea of, imagine this cup. If I could take the earth and put the earth in the cup. The fullness of all that God is and to fill me with it. I mean, can you even grasp what, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here? And the only way that this happens is for us to submit ourselves to the work of the Spirit and the way the Spirit moves internally on our emotions, on our consciousness, and begins to move on our mind, on our ideas and thoughts in the image of who God is. And he takes us into deeper places we cannot go without that. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or what? Imagine. How about this? Imagine that your imagination is part of prayer. Think about that. For you to connect to God requires that you begin to imagine, to experience, to have this mental, emotional image of God painted inside of you. And of course, this is the way that we begin to grow in Christ and who He is in us. Now, if you ask me about like, you know, so where is this in the Scriptures? Have you guys ever heard the parables before? 
Yes, we have. If you've been to this church, I, I hope you've heard the, the parables. Okay. Now, Jesus, he's always got this message of the kingdom of heaven. And so, again, what does Jesus do when he's trying to, to help people know something that they haven't seen yet? They haven't experienced it. He says, so the kingdom of God is like, and this is how the parables always start, right? Kingdom of God is like a what? A mustard seed. It's like a pearl. It's like coins that have been lost. And you all go, what, what are you talking about? There you go, she in the middle. And the problem in all this is that he didn't just use one image to say the kingdom of God is like. He had to use all of these images and symbols and stories to build this image of knowing who God is. And most of us in this room have one primary way that we see God. There are some churches that emphasize the marriage relationship with God. See, to be with God is like to be married to God. And so it's all about this image. It's like me saying, to be in marriage is to be friends. It's just to be friends. And, and, and so we're talking about friendship, friendship, friendship. Am I preparing someone for relationship and marriage if all I talk to them about is the one aspect of it? If I tell someone the ocean is like a bathtub, a bathtub, a bathtub, I'm not really doing it justice. Because the Bible says, yes, it's like this. Oh, but it's like this. It's like friendship. Oh, and it's like this God who's creator. Oh, and it's like this father. Oh, and it's like this advocate. Oh, and it's like this, this presence that pervades everything. Oh, it's like a tree and it's like water. And, you, and you're all going, whoa, slow down right? But that's the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it is loaded with, with images and symbols and stories. Because here's the point. For us to even start engaging God, we have to let these things expand our imagination. One of the things that kind of floors me is how boring we've all made God. How boring that we've made the scriptures. How boring that we've made being a Christian. We have learned somehow that to be an adult and to be a Christian is to turn the imagination off. And one of the reasons that I wanted to do this series is because without even knowing it, most of us have a very unreal, plastic, flimsy relationship with God. And here's why. It's not because we're bad people or bad Christians. It's because we, he is less real to us than, than Michael Jordan. How about this? Who's met Michael Jordan? Put your hand down. <laughs> Come on. But if I say Michael Jordan instantly, okay? Okay, how, who's being honest? Who feels like you know M Michael Jordan more than Jesus? Be honest. Come on, bunch of How about Beyonce? <laughs> now no one's going to raise their hand. I don't know what I'm talking about. You have images, stories. You have these, these encounters. Hey, well, Beyonce, you know, I can play her CD. I, you know, like I was at her concert. She was only like 60 rows away from me. And so this, this, this person who you don't know, you feel like you know. Because the ability to piece together your image of who this person is is much more vibrant than who you see Jesus as.
With Michael Jordan, you know, I, I grew up watching his games. I mean, you know, just hearing stories about, okay, how about this? Who here knew that Michael Jordan was cut from his high school team? See? I mean, like, if I were to start asking you questions about was this Michael Jordan or Jesus, you'd be like, I don't. How many of you actually know about the life of Jesus? Not that he was born and he died and he rose again, but his life. We don't know. It's not a challenge to understand why we live our lives around everything else but God. Because God is not real to us. Have you guys noticed how much I talk about death when I preach? Funerals and like cemeteries, yes? It is the only potent, real thing I can throw at people to wake them up. If I talk about Jesus, the parables, everyone goes to fairy tale land. Everyone disconnects. Oh, yeah, 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 I know, I've heard that. It's a pumpkin, turns into a carriage, there's this like glass shoe. <laughs> It's funny, but this is exactly what we do. Here's the real world and real things, and then, oh, yeah, there's God and, and you know, like Jesus and all that. And so your life really is affected little by God. It's not that he's not real. It's that he's not real to who? To you. He's not real to you or to me. What's real to me is the bills that show up at my house. What's real to me is the, the deadlines at work. What's real to me is the conflict at home or, you know, uh, in the family. Those are the things that are real to us. What's real to us is getting away from work and going to the lake for a week because it's summer. Who's planning a Branson trip? Everybody? <laughs> you went to Dolly World. That's, 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 that's even worse. That's like up here. I mean, come on. I mean, it is, those are real things to us. When you think of escape, you think of going on vacation. I need to get away from the pressures of this week. I need to go on vacation. It's summer. You don't think the pressures of this world are killing me. I need to get with God. No. When you think about your family and friends, you think about your family and friends. You don't think about the church. How about that? I, mean, I just really need someone to be there for me. So I'm going to call so-and-so, my buddy, my friend from work or from high school. You don't think about the church. It's not real to us. It's this imaginary thing we do. And the only thing I can do to wake people up, I go, you're going to die. Everyone goes, oh, oh, yeah, junk. I forgot about that. I am going to die. <laughs> okay, so what about God again? <laughs> we have to learn to use our imaginations again. Stories and symbols and images of who God is are there to suck us into this world, to make it real. The reason that we have spiritual gifts, laying on of hands, the reason that we have the communion with bread and juice, things to taste and smell and eat, is to bring us into something that, if without it, is not real to us. And in the Old Testament, what's interesting in the Old Testament is that we see the same thing. Every time God shows up to a person, he has to explain who he is with a different story. He shows up to someone and he says, oh yeah, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. When he's saying that, he's not saying I'm their God. He's saying I'm the God you heard of through the story of Abraham, the story of Isaac, the story of Jacob. 
When the Jews would talk about their God, they'd say, oh, it's the God who showed up at Sinai. You know the one that had like lightning and thunder? Yeah, that's our God. Because they had to, how do we understand him? Okay, how about this? Is God a big cloud with fire and thunder and lightning? Is that who God is? Is that all God is? Much of the Old Testament is God trying to give them small little pictures and images. And the confusion that the people of God have made since Genesis all the way to this room right now is we continue to limit God to the small image and pictures and experiences that we've had. And the moment that someone else comes to us and says, no, hey, well, guess what? I, God's this too. And we, we look at our picture. No, he's not that. He's this. How about this? Imagine if we had this monster puzzle that would cover this entire table. If I gave everyone a piece. And I said, this image, okay, this puzzle, what's put together is what God looks like. And if I gave everyone a piece. What we do is like this. It's like walking around and someone else comes to you and says, hey, I think God looks like this. And you check your piece. No, he looks like this. This is how most of us interact. God is what I've experienced him to be. God is, the, is my favorite Bible verses. God is this type of church service. He is this type of song. He is communion with welches and grape juice. Well, I love communion with wine. No, 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 no. Whoa. No. I think you have a different puzzle. Well, we have choirs at our church. Do you get what I'm saying? The beautiful thing about the church is that God is only manifest to the world. I'll say this. God can only clearly be understood, meaning the entire image of who He is. The world is only ever going to really see who God is when the church comes together in unity. It doesn't matter what experience I personally have or what knowledge I have or, you know, how many puzzle pieces I get. There's no way that the world can ever fully come to grasp or even to even come close until I bring my puzzle pieces and I take your puzzle pieces and yours and yours and yours and we begin to put this thing together. That is why witness is crucial. For you to come and say, well, I encountered God this way, and, I, and these verses speak to me this way, and this story speaks to me this way, and I have a special heart for people, you know, who, who, who come from broken homes. I have a heart for people who are dealing with drugs, and we come together, and this image begins to grow. This is the way that we learn who God is. Now, what do we do about this thing? In this process, the biggest thing that's hard for us to do is this. To say that Jesus is Lord 
as also to allow him to dictate who he is and how we should relate to him. Have you guys ever seen in the Scriptures that phrase, the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ is an image of our minds with God over it. With Jesus being the what? The Lord over our minds. How many of you thought the mind of Christ was like some kind of a spiritual experience? Okay, no one's be honest. Who just had no idea what it was talking about? When it says the mind of Christ, it is, it is your mind, your thoughts and ideas submitted underneath the work of Christ through the Spirit. Meaning when I come to God and I say, here's who I think you are, here's how I think you move, here's what I think you want, here's what I think the Bible says, and I come to you and I say, Holy Spirit, I submit. I declare Jesus is Lord, even over my image and my ideas of who you are. And then because of that, I come into community, and the Spirit begins to move through all of us. And God begins to show himself through each of us. It's not saying we're all equal on this. As we grow in Christ, we have more to bring to the table. And so, for us this morning, here's the challenge. Are you willing to submit to Jesus as Lord, even in your mind? Are you willing to accept a Jesus who will not get past customs and fly into the U.S. right now? Are we willing to let God out of the box that we put him in? Are we willing to, to, to accept a Jesus who's not American? What? He didn't grow up in the Midwest. <laughs> He's not. I'm sorry. I'd go on forever with these. This will hit each of us in a different way. To say Jesus is Lord is to allow God to be who he is to us and not who we want him to be. This is not to say that you don't know God. It's to say that you don't know all of God. And the hardest thing for all of us to do is to let go, if you would, to, have a, to loosen our grip on who we claim that God is in order to discover who He really is. Now, I'm sure that you have a lot of questions about how that works. Next week, we're going to focus on what that process looks like. How do we let God grow and challenge us and expand without getting crazy, if you would, without completely losing who God really is? But this morning, here's the challenge for us. Are we willing to let God out of the box and put him in?